I think every worship service is sacred. Every worship service is important. But is there ever a time when we try to go up a notch in our worship? I think it's the Holy Communion. Different passages of Scripture kind of get nicknamed or whatever. Romans chapter 5 is called the heart of the gospel. Theologians feel like this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, it's the heart of the gospel. Let me begin with the sixth verse. When we were unable to help ourselves, at that moment of our need, Christ died for us. Heart of the gospel. Although we were living against God, very few people will die for the life of someone else, although perhaps for a good person, someone might. But God showed his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Heart of the gospel, huh? Through Christ we shall be saved from God's anger because we've been made right by God because of the blood of Jesus' death. Heart of the gospel. While we were still God's enemies, he made friends with us for the death of his son. Surely now we are his friends. He will save us because of his son's life. Not only that, we are happy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are now made God's friend again. That's cut to the chase stuff. Heart of the gospel. Short verses, that, that entire Romans chapter 5 is just where the heart of the gospel. On a cross, Jesus died for our sins and brought us together with a holy God. The very symbol of our faith is the cross. Moralists find it offensive. Sophisticates find it crude. Humanists, it's outdated. But there is no Christianity outside of the cross. So why such concentration on, on the cross? It's like our logo. Let, let me give you just a couple of facts this morning that we should perceive and, and contemplate the cross before we enter into communion. First, maybe most important, there is a victory won here. To the citizens of the first century... If they'd have walked in and seen churches today, it'd have been more than startled, they'd have been offended. Seeing crosses on top of steeples and, and paintings and, and hanging on, from necklaces and jewelry, it's ridiculous. They'd have been offended. Imagine, maybe we take down the cross, a steeple. Let's put an electric chair up there. Chair with some wires, maybe a hood they put over the person's head. That'd be nice. Let's make, let's make that the top of a steeple for a little while. Or, or maybe uh, those beautiful paintings we make. Let, let, let's make a painting of a hangnoose. Shrouded by flowers. Some clouds. Sunrise picture. Gene, you're weird. Hey, they're all, they're all instruments of execution. If someone from the first century came and saw church steeples with crosses... They would look at us and say, are you people sick? Beautiful jewelry? An instrument of execution? There's nothing wondrous about the cross. It's sick. It was and is an ugly, shameful, sordid. It was reserved for the worst criminals. It was reserved for the worst offenders. The way they died was ridiculous in our culture. If someone is 
finally going to be executed because of whatever they've done and they've gone through all, all, the, all the steps and all the legal wranglings and all that stuff. If they finally reach that point where there's no other recourse and they're executed, we try to find a way to do it humanely. It was believed that execution would immediately kill somebody. It was, it was humane at some level. A, a, a century ago, they believed that hanging was humane. They just snapped their neck and they died quickly. And I don't want to be gross, but they believed it was humane. And, and now they give them a shot. They feel it's humane. Rome didn't feel that way. They were the opposite. How can we make this the most worst death, worst death we possibly can? When someone died on the cross, it was asphyxiation. They died because they couldn't breathe. Little by little by little, as they hung, their bones began to separate. It was agony. Blood would come out of every pore. It was sickening to watch. But the final time of death came because they would use their, their, their feet up against the, the middle bar and push themselves up to breathe. That's why if they want to end the execution, soldiers would just take rods and break their legs so they couldn't pull themselves up. And when they weren't able to get that last breath, it was sickening. The cross was a sickening design. Reserved for the worst. It was a terrible, slow, torturous death. It was a deterrent. Rome would say, come, come and watch. This is what happens when you commit the crime. Do you want to commit the crime? Humane wasn't in their mind. It was a deterrence. How can we make this the worst possible death on earth? Cicero wrote his revulsion of the cross. Cicero writes, it's not only having to endure a fate that is intolerable, it's the mode of it. It's the mention of it. It's the mere anticipation of it. Again, if we could bring someone from that century to today and they see a cross hanging from, from, from a woman's necklace, they look at you like, are, are, you, just, are you just sick? Have we desensitized ourselves to this instrument of death? Or, or are we all just nuts? How in the world did this ugly thing become the glowing theme of our faith? So honored that to even talk about it being ugly almost sounds a little sacrilegious, doesn't it? To talk about the filth of the cross and the ugliness of the cross comes across as quasi-sacrilegious. We don't dare say that thing. So... I think a fair, reasonable question, if we're going to be honest here, how did that thing become so special to us? I mean, it's our ever-loving logo. Obviously, it's not the cross. It's who died there. It's not the cross. It's what happened there. Had it not been for Jesus, the cross would still be a symbol of shame, which... I think is almost a metaphor for us. Had it not been for Jesus, we would still be somewhat a symbol of shame. God in the flesh sacrificed himself on a cruel cross. God in Christ died in that cross. And that and that alone turned that pathetic cross into a powerful symbol for us. It's more than Jesus dying on the cross that made it so great. But it's his blood penalty. Again, that Romans chapter 5, because of his blood. I've explained it before a long time ago. Let me go back. I kind of make the joke, heaven's a perfect place and I don't know what you're going to do. And me too. If anybody could, can get into heaven who's not perfect, heaven's no longer perfect. Because the bar, I mean, the bar is crazy. In order to get into heaven, you must be perfect. If one person gets in, heaven forfeits being perfect. Common sense here. So the Bible basically teaches every one of us is doomed. 
That's encouraging. Thank you for that. But frankly, we are. There, there's got to be a way. And Jesus comes along and says, I am on the right hand of the Father. And when the Father sees you, I will be there to cover. If this is, if this is me and you, I will be there to cover you. That's why the word talks about seeing us in the blood of Jesus and covered by the blood of Jesus. That's why he's at the right hand of the Father at the judgment. That's why he says, I hold the keys to heaven and hell. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way. And the way is that blood. Romans chapter 5, the heart of the gospel. The cross. The resurrection. It's a victory won for us. Jesus' victory on the cross is victory over death and eternity. As you think about it, we all have the same two enemies. In fact, we only have two enemies, not the IRS. We only have two enemies, death and Satan. Every one of us have those same two enemies. And, and maybe you make enemies in your life. That's not my fault. But the fact of the matter is we all only have two enemies, Satan and death. And Jesus on the cross defeats Satan, and three days later, he defeats death. You don't have an enemy left that he hasn't already defeated. Christ is not some pathetic victim. He's a princely victor. It's on the cross that we see and understand the victory won, and that sordid instrument of execution is now our logo, because what happened there at Calvary, his life wasn't taken, it was given. Maybe in this light, we can begin to see how that tough centurion who's seen a lot of death said, I've never seen anyone die like this. This surely is a son of God. It's victory. Now, the second piece of the puzzle that we celebrate over the cross that turned this thing into something so wonderful and so powerful is the sacrifice. Because frankly, from a moral, legal point of view, Jesus has no business being there. Exactly what crime did he commit? Exactly what is he guilty of? What Roman law put him on that cross? He's actually framed. He's not guilty of any crime. He has no business being there legally. So why did he die? There's only one answer, and Paul gave it to us. Romans chapter 5. Go back to that one verse in the heart of the gospel. 5 verse 8. Take a look at it. God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. I don't know about you. I've sinned. While we were sinners, Jesus died. So his blood is available for me and you at that judgment bar of God to say, see Gene Tanner through my blood. I want to be covered by the blood of Christ. He's a sacrifice for our sins. That's why he's there. Because legally, morally, he's no business being there. He's broken no law. He's a sacrifice for me. Sacrifice for you. For our sins. And once we get a real picture of the blackness of our sins, we kind of stand before the wondrous cross. We really begin to contemplate outwardly and inwardly what Jesus died for. When we see ourselves really as we are, I mean, give up the excuses, give up the illusions, get real and be honest. When we finally stop rationalizing ourselves, we just stand guilty. And then the cross takes on the immense power. It's the cost of my salvation. Because I'm guilty. Jesus died for sinners. He took my place. Paid a price I could not have paid. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18, 19. Kind of wraps a lot of this up. I want you to see this. You know in the past, 
You are living in a worthless way. A way passed down from the people who lived before you. Everybody who lived before us are sinners. That almost tradition was passed down. We live a life of sin. But you were saved from that useless life. I love that term. Without Christ, life has no purpose. But you were saved from that useless life. You were bought. Not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but precious blood of Christ, who was the pure and perfect lamb. Because of this, the cross is powerful. And because of, of this, the cross now makes demands on me. The death of Jesus on the cross is not only something amazing for me, but now it's something amazing demanded of me. It's not a one-way street. Something on the cross happens for me. Now something because of the cross is demanded of me. Something so amazing demands my love, demands my life, demands my all, demands my all. We talk about living kingdom, living my life that God receive glory. The cross is a demand. It's powerful. And Jesus in his wisdom said, do this in remembrance of me. The greatest teachers of all have always realized there's power in repetition. There's power in tradition. If you're a school teacher and you tell your kids, don't forget this. Come back a month later. What did I tell you not to forget? How do you make sure we never, ever forget something? You tie it into a tradition. As often as you do the tradition... You're brought back to what, you're, what you need to remember. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He might as well have said, never forget. Never forget the cross. Go back always, always, always. Repetition, tradition. Go back to the cross. That's why it's so important this morning that we go back to the cross and what happened there for me. My, my, my favorite passage, of course the Lord's Supper is recorded all throughout Scripture, but my favorite passage is Luke 21. Excuse me, Luke chapter 22. As we work our way through it, I'm going to invite you to take communion together. But let me read the event to you. When the time came, Jesus and his apostles were seated at the table. He said to them, I wanted very much to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I will not have another Passover meal again until it's had its true meaning in the kingdom of God. Jesus took a cup, gave thanks. Take this cup, divide it among yourselves. I will not drink from the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God comes. And then Jesus took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to the apostles. said, this is my body, which I'm giving to you. Whoa. Do this in remembrance of me. As a church, take the bread together. A body was broken in the most cruel way of all of eternity on a cross for you. Now, people feel like it just rolls right in. No, there, there's a gap now. For their culture, the way they, the way they had their meals, I, I would struggle they would never take a drink of anything. They would have the entire meal dry. When the meal was done, 
Then they would, take, they would take a drink of water, whatever they're drinking. They didn't drink during the course of the meal. Maybe it's me, but I, I can't eat like that. But So after he pronounces the bread ceremony and teaches them that the body will be broken, then there's, he doesn't go right in, in, into the glass of wine. And then, we, then there's a whole long meal. But after the meal, then he picks up again. So let's pick up. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus then took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant that, that God now makes with his people. This new covenant begins with my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, take the cup. Remember, that blood that was shed is the blood that covers you in the very judgment bar of God. May it speak to us, convict us, empower us, that we never forget the price tag. Let's stand together this morning, please. Father, we come before you. And as we've already said, the communion service is different. Every service is sacred. Every service of worship is powerful. The word said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Every service is important and powerful. But somehow, I, I always feel like the communion service, we ought to raise the bar a little bit. For we are doing the service you designed. I can't imagine a church that doesn't have communion. I, I feel like that's not a church. They're ignoring the thing that you told us to do. Do this in remembrance of me. Keep doing it. Keep going back to the cross. And we go to the cross today. Take us there. Take us in our soul. Take us in our spirit. Help us to see the power of the cross. Help us to understand even the torture of the cross. May we be burdened. May we see the broken body and the blood that now covers me. Father, I've always felt that the communion service is, 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 is raked with opposite emotions. There's a piece of the communion service that we ought to have broken hearts. The price tag was so immense. We ought to see the cross. There's a part of the communion service that our hearts ought to break as we recognize the broken body and the blood. At the same time, this unbelievable range of emotions, there's a part of the communion service that we ought to do nothing but celebrate. That was, that was for me. It was a price tag paid for me. As we take the bread and take the juice, we're reminded again, this was for me. That I have a Savior who loves me at levels that I cannot comprehend. I've always felt that communion service is a marriage of multiple emotions that are opposites. Incredible sadness, incredible joy. We recognize that my salvation, while free, isn't cheap. And I have nothing left to do but say hallelujah. I have nothing left to do but praise you. I have nothing left to do but fall before you and say I want to live kingdom. That you receive glory from my life. I have nothing left to offer except me. For the gift of the cross. There's a reason why it's revered. But we never forget it's an instrument of execution. 
potentially the worst one of all time. My Savior volunteered himself for me. And we do this in remembrance that we never forget. And we praise you in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. We've been telling some biblical stories and why they have meaning for us. And next week, they named a child Disgrace. That was a tough day in kindergarten when they found out his name. They named him Disgrace. And yet as we see his story, it's powerful for us today. Next week I want to unpack that. We're going to have a great time. But thank you for worshiping with us on an incredibly sacred day this morning. May God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us.